everyone, this is Jean Gallagher and welcome. And I am a financial advisor, founder of Seaside Solutions and the founder of Discover Rising Tides. Welcome to show number 39, Discover Rising Tides, How the Outside Makes the Inside Better, where we explore the importance of the outdoors in maintaining life balance. Through this series, we'll be talking with women business owners to understand their journey. And we've also added a new segment. So the first segment will be with Denise Stigall, and you might remember her from our previous show. She is an author, curator at Living Healthy List and Healthy Living Liaison. And as always, we'll be hearing from Lynn Schuster-Williams, author and coach, and her segment called Rising Up. But for, And first, we're going to start with Denise, and then we'll introduce our, our main guest. Hi, Denise. Hey, Jean. How are you today? I'm great. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited for this segment and having you on as a regular guest for the podcast. So what, tell us what you're going to talk about today and in the theme going forward. Okay, well, let me start with the theme then. So the theme for my segment is healthy living, happy life. It's been my tagline. It's been something that I've been talking about for years. And so much of what I do with my clients, with my writing is about healthy living and how when you have a healthy lifestyle, happiness just kind of falls into place. So today we're going to talk about something that really struggle, people really struggle with when it comes to happiness. And that is perfectionism. Perfectionism is the enemy of mm -hmm. happiness. And I know that's a harsh word, but when people are stuck in perfectionism, they really are, they're, they're fighting. They're always fighting someone. There's always that uh, challenge. And often that person that they're fighting is themselves. Mm. Yeah. And, and then and it also doesn't help anyone where we're scrolling through social media and looking at all the perfect pictures or what seems to be perfect where it's just a, a, a flicker or a snapshot of what's really not reality sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Um, what I find with social media is so many times people just post the nice things. You know, they, they post the perfect hair and the perfect outfit and the perfect vacation. Um, and we start looking at that and thinking, well, why, why don't I have that? You know, my hair never looks like that. I always complain about my hair. Um, but, but it's one of those things that really keeps us from moving forward, from starting or for, from finding the happiness within. Mm. Now, a lot of times with perfectionism, there are two different uh, people that we are looking to be perfect. One, first and foremost, is ourselves. We're always trying to be perfect, to find the perfect spouse, the perfect job, the perfect whatever. But we're also looking, because we're thinking we need to be perfect, we expect everybody around us to be perfect too. Mm. Which of course, that you know, that is stressful for the people around you because they don't actually know that that's what your expectations are. So a lot of times with perfectionism, it's about expectations too. I never thought of that as expectations. I the, personally, that's an easy one to realize, but I didn't, I never thought about what we might expect others in their, their not meeting our unrealistic expectations or what's in our brain is what should be expected. Right. Right. And it can affect our personal relationships, our, uh, our career, our mm -hmm. professional relationships, and actually our physical relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how you feel uh, 
within your body, whether you're stressed or um, agitated, all of those, those feelings, all of those negative feelings can come from that desire to search for perfectionism or reach per that perfectionism that we all know is impossible to attain. Mm. The other thing that I think really is a challenge for people when it comes to perfectionism is that it takes the joy out of everything that they are doing, all of the goals that they're striving for. Um, and if there's no joy in that, kind of what's the point? Mm. And, and by this, I mean, you know, people are overthinking, they're over planning, um, all of those things that say, you know, I, I've got to do this and, you know, I've got to get this done. You know, I, I need to over plan. Like we all want the perfect wedding, right? We want the perfect party. We want the perfect fill in the blank. And so all of that planning and overthinking one is exhausting, mm -hmm. um, but it also takes away the joy in planning a wedding, planning a party or an event or oh, a career. I, right. Oh, I, you know, you're right. Because we're expecting that we're going to be able to follow through. So are there triggers to that we should recognize that would say, hey, I am in this mode? Yes, I think first and foremost, if you have a goal or uh, something that you're really trying to uh, achieve mm -hmm. and you're in a place where you're, you're always thinking about it. You're all like, so you have a plan or a, you're writing stuff down. You've got your notes and you're always tweaking it. So in business, what I see a lot of times is people have a logo and then they tweak their logo and then they change it a little bit more. And they're constantly tweaking. It's little tweaks, but they're the only person that actually notices what the differences really are. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things when you're constantly, you know, um, changing things and getting to a point where you're not actually starting, you're starting to start or you're planning to start. So I think if you really find yourself stuck in planning mode all the time, that is the first, you know, the first sign to say, okay, hold on a minute. What, you know, what am I really striving for? You know, what is my goal here? And can I get, can I reach that goal in, in an easier way? You know, what's an, a simpler path? I think what happens also during this uh, and is one of those triggers is those limiting beliefs and that little voice that is in your head telling you, you know, you have to do more, you have to do better, you have to do this. When you when those voices in your head um, are so loud that the kind of sage perspective, that positive person that's also mm -hmm. in your head, if that that negative person is louder than the the positive uh, voice in your head, that's a, definitely a, sh a sign to say, okay, hold on, I need to step back here. So those are the two things that I, I see very often that, um, that help people kind of step back and go, okay, I know I'm trying to strive for perfection. How about let's strive for doing our best. Mm -hmm. I think that's achievable. Mm -hmm. um, and truly when we look at the health and happiness, you know, perfectionism if you're struggling with perfectionism, that is a very unhealthy mindset that can affect your emotional, physical health as well. And so we know if we're not emotionally healthy and physically healthy, that our happiness doesn't, you can't, you can't feel bad and be happy at the same time. It's mm. too difficult because you have too many negative things going on in your mind to actually appreciate the things that you do have that are positive in your life. So do you think that people have a hard time recognizing their best, but also in addition to that question, how do you delineate between 
I'm on the perfection mode and, or this is my best. And does that make people feel like they're giving in? Sometimes, yes, it does feel, but that's okay. It is okay. So there's a Harvard study that, that, that talks about, um, okay is okay. You know, just, you know, good enough is good enough. And one, because if it's good enough, it's, if it's really, if you think it's good enough, it's probably really darn good. Mm. And so it's always that inner person that we're always judging ourselves. And yes, there are ways to step back and to um, change our mindset on that. And actually, I talk a little bit, we talk a little bit about that in the book that just came out uh, on Tuesday uh, about mindset and how that really can help you to kind of get the perfectionism uh, under control. Mm. And, and then what are the, we're going to talk about your book in just a second too. And so what are the, what are the, are there tips to help yourself transition to this, a better mindset? Or we've talked about triggers, but what are the, what would be some steps for people to, to take action on? I think first and foremost is to recognize when you're in this perfectionism mode and to step back and kind of reevaluate, you know, what is it that you really want to achieve? Um, Is it really that important to be, to do it in one specific way? So recognizing it is the the first thing. Um, The next thing I think is a little bit of journaling and, Mm -hmm. um, kind of quiet time, you know, kind of just meditate, call it meditation, call it quiet time, um, whatever, um, whatever you call it. I think what happens when we're stuck in perfectionism, our mind is just going, 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 and it's too, there's too much noise in our head. So we do need to step back and just calm, calm the noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, do some meditation, Writes, you know, do some journaling. And I think what happens when people are journaling about these challenges that they're having, uh, especially with perfectionism, is they start to notice that there are um, there are patterns. Mm. And so once they start to recognize the pattern, then they can notice it and say, "Okay, I need to step back. And then uh, you start again when uh, they're in a more positive mindset, because perfectionism really is a very negative mindset. Mm. That's interesting. And so the journaling piece, really what you're, you're, you're able to download or unload all these, these noises in your head, right. And, and download all of that and be able to put it in, it puts things into a better perspective where in your head, you're thinking it's not right or not good enough, but when you're writing down what you've done or what you're, what really has happened, there could be some self-realization that, oh, it is okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when journaling, I end up doing a bit of a brain dump, like all of the things that are going on in my head that may be contributing to me wanting to be, you know, struggle with perfectionism. Once I start writing these things down, you're right. It's, it's all of a sudden, it's kind of like when you're in school and, you know, you're looking at the blackboard and the teacher erases the blackboard. And it's like clean slate. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that uh, for ourselves whenever we get stuck in this um, this cycle of perfectionism is really to just step back, recognize what's going on, take a breath, do some journaling, do some meditation. And then all of a sudden you've got a a blank slate. I think what you said is really important. And I want to emphasize it because I never thought of it this way. And when you said that perfection is a negative mindset Mm -hmm. and I never would have even, I think that's brilliant 
I never would have thought of it that way because we always want to strive to do our best. Absolutely. Striving to do our best is not perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I like that. I, that's, that's a, can you say that again? Cause that's a really, really important statement. Striving for our best is not perfect. Mm. Oh, that's gorgeous. So tell us about the book. I'm really excited about the book. This, mm-hmm. uh, this is the second book that I have written. It's the first that I am, uh, I've actually curated. It's a collaboration with 14 other authors. Uh, most of them are people that I know, love, and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I know their backgrounds. Uh, the few people who um, I didn't know personally were first line uh, referrals from those other people. And this book is important because it talks, it's still about a healthy lifestyle, but it's called Healthy Thinking, Happy Life. Master your mindset and get a uh, bleep done. <laughs> I don't know if I can say S-H-I-T on, on Zoom. Um, and what's so important about this book is we deliver uh, strategies, tips, stories, Um, from different perspectives, each of the authors have different backgrounds and they work with different types of people and have obviously different experiences. And all of them are amazing. Like I never, when I, when I think negativity and I think, you know, positive mindset and I think mindset, you know, I always think everybody has to be part of um, the positive intelligence or the positive mindset people. Well, what about the people who have just kind of figured it out or, you know, stumbled on to mindset work on their own. And so some of the authors are people who have done that as well. Uh, And again, we have, um, there are 16 chapters. One is about gratitude. Mm -hmm. One is about letting things go. Mm. Um, And another, one of my favorites is from, uh, by my friend, Matt, who I've known since first grade. Uh, And it's what you think about, you bring about, you know, we've heard that phrase before many, many times, right? Mm-hmm. But coming from a man's perspective, it was really interesting. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Um, on day one, we, we launched this com- this past Tuesday. Uh, by by uh, six o'clock that evening, we became number one in men's health. Wow. So that was pretty exciting. We're, we're kind of hovering at number four when it comes to women's health. Um, and so that's exciting. You know, people, really, people need to hear about, hear stories from other people where they see themselves in that story as well. And I think that's what this book provides. That's fantastic. And where can people find the book? Uh, Currently, the book is up on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Till the end of uh, next week, it's on uh, Kindle for 99 cents. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can grab that while it's uh, really cheap. Uh, The um, paperback is also available if you like to have a physical book like I know I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's there. And (laughs) by the end of March, it'll be... Uh, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever you get your, uh, your books from. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank That's you. fantastic. And thank you for being here. And I'm looking forward to um, incorporating you on, <laughs> there's applause. I'm looking forward to incorporating you and your insight here as on, as a regular contributor. And so give us a little hint of what, what's going to come up next. Ooh. Okay. So we were, let me call you off guard. Uh, the, um, yes. <laughs> so, um, we can do a couple things. We can talk a little bit more about happiness and mm-hmm. pushing happiness off till tomorrow, uh, till tomorrow, or we will talk about, uh, in the future, we'll, in future episodes, we're going to talk about, 
um, nourishing yourself mm -hmm. from the inside out and all of the things that that means. It's not just about food. That's wonderful. Yes, that's fantastic. And, you know, we talk about how the outside makes the inside better, but I think that Lynn, who will be, will be hearing from her later, she's always, she's said in the past, we want to see, make the inside, we have to take care of the inside first. So um, thank you so much, Denise. And I look forward to your continued, continued insight. Thank you so much, Ian. This is going to be so much fun. Let's move to our main guest, and uh, I'm so excited to introduce not only just because she's a fantastic person, but she's my friend, <laughs> and that's what makes it even more fun. And so, Elise Knox, and let me hi, Elise. Hi, Jean. Nice I'm gonna to see read, you. I'm going to read your bio real quick, and then we'll dive in. Okay. So, Elise is a certified parent and teach teen coach. She uses her unique approach to support teens to increase confidence, work through social changes, discover their strengths and uniquenesses, communicate with a more clarity and create more self-leadership. Elise is a certified parent and um, teen coach. And I read that part. So <laughs> I think we're good. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's get started. And this is, I've been looking forward to this because Elise and I have been talking about this for a while and we see each other a couple of times a week in yoga and downtown at the farmer's market. And so um, I want to start in the beginning and not dive into all the meaty part because I'm really excited. I wish I knew you when my kids were teenagers. I, I needed you. My daughter needed you actually to take care of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So let's, let's start um, tell us a little bit about you and how you started and how you transitioned to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I was a very challenged teen. So I would say that my work started, you know, many, many years ago. Um, and I was a really happy, bubbly little child. And then when the teen years hit and I was really connected to my mom. And then when the teen years hit, um, I'm the youngest and my brother and sister were both very academic and I wasn't. And so I felt, you know, a little bit like I didn't always fit in with that part of the family. And I took um, that and some other things and went the opposite direction. So I really rebelled in a lot of ways as a teenager and that put a strain on my relationship with my mom for sure. We stayed, you know, we, we had our moments of connection, but there was a lot of really big challenges as well. And so then I, you know, went, moved out, moved away, did a lot of things, but I honestly like adolescence doesn't end until 25. And I would say it took me until about 25 to fully, um, you know, understand some things and, um, my mom and I were very close in my twenties. Um, and then fast forward, I became a special ed teacher. Um, my mom actually passed away really early and right before I became a mom. And so I stopped teaching to just be a mom full-time myself. Um, and then once I was ready to get back into work and life, I, um, I found myself doing health coaching which I ended up in a middle school and a high school 
which was not my plan. I was like done with teenagers, but every time I did anything, I came back to teenagers. So I took the call and uh, I left the school that I was working for and went out on my own. And now I work with parents and teens. So I work a lot of the time I work with moms because there's a lot, as you mentioned, there's a lot there when your kids become teens that um, is really supportive to work with the mom. And then I also work with teens. And so I don't forget this part. I want to just interject here that everybody needs to check out your Instagram account because you are phenomenal on there and it's a lot of fun. So we'll talk about it in the end, but I'd have to toss that in there. So the dynamics between that, that happen as, as um, kids start to turn into teenagers and, and it must also be more challenging if you have if you have one child, this is all, you know, but like you were saying, when you grew up, you know, if you, if you're a parent of more than one child, these are not carbon copies of each other. Mm -mm. No, I mean, you always hear people say like, oh, there's not a handbook for parenting. No, there's not a handbook for parenting. And there's also like each, you kind of figure it out with one child and then the next one comes and you have to figure out a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it, and you think you have one phase figured out and then you move into the next. And that actually the the time of life that I typically work with both moms and teens is that like 12, 11, 12 to 16 ish age, because that is when there are some really big changes happening for the child and mm-hmm. there needs to be some really big changes happening for the parents also. Yeah, that exactly. And so that that's an understatement. <laughs> uh, so so as as the kids transition, I would think too that they don't have any tools to do this either. Mm-mm. And so if the parents don't have the tools to deal with what could come up or what is coming up, and that's just not a, the best resource to help that child blossom and turn into whomever they should be. No, and and what. What often happens, especially with moms of daughters, is the issues or the experiences that the mom had in her teen years, especially if they haven't been um, really looked at and worked through, they, the mom often projects those same things onto her daughter without, like, just for an example, if, if somebody had a really bad breakup when they were a teen, and the daughter's first boyfriend, she's like automatic mom's automatically going terrible breakup. This can't happen. And the daughter's like, we literally like hold hands and have fun together. Why, why are you freaking out about this? But the mom has already fast forward into her experience. Mm, That's interesting. Or her expectations. Right. And as we were, it's kind of interesting that, you know, what Denise was talking about, about, unrealistic expectations that really falls into your, your court significantly. Oh, everything she talked about. I was like, Oh yes, yes. Journaling. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, and then there, there's that too. There's like the expectations of what you think your child should be like, mm-hmm. and they're not, there's this really interesting, I love Brene Brown and her, one of her most recent books, Atlas of the Heart. Atlas of the heart. She talks about 
um, belonging. And she interviewed like a bunch of middle school students Mm -hmm. and overwhelmingly they came back saying that when they don't feel like they belong, it it's about their, their families more than Mm -hmm. their peers, which is very interesting because Mm -hmm. adolescence is a time of like kids wanting to be with their peers. And so families often assume that they're not like, they don't care as much anymore, Mm -hmm. but overwhelmingly these kids came back saying like, not belonging feels like your parents not thinking like you're doing well enough or like that you don't play the right sports or that you don't um, hang out with the right group. And so even though kids at this age are seeking those peer relationships like more and harder than they are seeking the connection with you, the, the connection with the parent is still super duper important and strong. Mm. And so, yeah, there's just so many different things happening at this stage that it's just so important to, for, for the parents to really be aware Mm -hmm. of the changes that are happening and how, how to support themselves first Mm -hmm. and their team. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because the kids might be seeming like they're in a, um, don't want anything to do with their parents, but deep down inside, that's really the Mm -hmm. most important to them, Mm -hmm. but they'd also don't know how to express that. No. Wow. And so do you find that if you have a a certain scenario and you're talking to the teenagers and their view on the scenario is totally opposite than the mom's view on this or the parents view on the scenario? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, I'm like having flash teenage daughter flashbacks. And, and so I might say some things, but my daughter, Megan is phenomenal and she's a great parent, but those teenage years were rough <laughs> because I, I wasn't prepared for a rebellious mm-hmm. person, right? I was prepared for somebody that showed up in school and did fine without trying. Well, and that like brings up another really important point is your daughter is now has now left adolescence, right? And Mm -hmm. she's an adult Mm -hmm. and another really big challenge for all parents, like myself included, I am not immune to any of these things that I speak about, just so everyone knows, is uh, (laughs) like if your kid isn't, can't keep their room clean, can't turn their phones off, can't turn their homework in on time, rather than like, okay, right now the situation is they're not doing this. Mm -hmm. Uh, the parent brain goes, oh my gosh, they're never going to have a real job. They're never going to find anyone who wants to live with them because their house is always dirty. Like future, I call it future casting or future projecting. Mm -hmm. And especially during the teen years, meeting them like where they're at Mm. and keeping. So that's why I think it's so important for moms in this time to have support because you do need to vent. It is very frustrating that this is happening, Mm -hmm. but as much as you can do that outside of the relationship with your teen, the better your relationship is going to be. Mm. Yeah. Because that is true. As a parent, we all, (laughs) that your, your child brings home a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And then all of a sudden in our brain, we have them married off and like, this isn't the person I want you to spend the rest of your life with, but that's not what they're thinking. This, they're like, I want to hang out with this person because he makes me, he or she makes me happy. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, so how, 
how does your communication with the teenagers differ than your communication with the moms or, or is it really the same? How do you, how do you deliver those messages? Um, it's very different. Um, coaching a teen versus coaching a parent is they're two, they're two different things. So, um, and so it's really interesting that you asked that and somebody who I coached her daughter a while ago, um, for, for quite a while. And Mm -hmm. they tried out somebody else who was like in a training program who was a little bit, they could afford her a little bit better. And, um, she was, the mom just reached out to me and said, yeah, this, this new coach said to her, you know, you're really living in this, um, like self absorbed, like negative space. You should really like take some perspective. And that can be said in an adult coaching relationship. Sometimes if the, if the connection is there with, with client and coach, but in a teen coaching situation, like I never, I, that's, I don't because they really need to just be able to be themselves. And kids are very self-centered and teenagers are still self-centered. Like their brains are not capable of fully, like that's one of the things that's happening in a teenager's brain is they're becoming more able Mm. to take perspective and see things from different perspectives, but they're just learning that. And so they, a teen really needs you to just be there and listen and be in non-judgment and acceptance and sometimes offer little nuggets, but mostly it's a lot of listening and reflecting and supporting them in that way. I never, I never even would have considered that the teen's brain isn't ready and able and trained to think in that manner. There are so many things about the adolescent brain or the teen brain that like when you can understand. So I do talk to parents when I coach parents, I talk to them about teenage brain development because and I talk to the teens about it, too, in a lighter way. Um, Mm -hmm. So because it's helpful for them to understand because adults are expecting all these things of them. And they aren't able to do them or able Mm -hmm. to show up in that way. And so it's helpful for me to like share a little bit with them, but with um, the parents, when you can understand, like some of these skills just aren't yet possible, (laughs) then you can, it it takes like, it's not like, oh, they're doing this to me or they're, they're going to be a bad person. It's like, oh, they haven't learned that skill yet. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. And so are you able to teach them a little bit or either teach them the skill or, or help them understand that the parent is maybe expecting this thought process, but they're not recognizing the thought process? Yeah, I work when I, when I'm working with teens, I try to like, listen, 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 non-judgment, 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 and a little perspective taking Mm -hmm. of like, um, how, yeah, just perspective taking. And also another thing that I really like to talk to my teen clients about is we can discuss other people and what they're doing, but the only thing we have control over is our reactions to the thing, Mm. which I mean, I work this, I do this with adults too, but like And we keep coming back to that because if they're, if it's constantly like, oh, my mom, this, or my dad, this, or my sibling, this, 
I will listen to it. I will be there for it. And at the end of the session, what little changes can you make to either make that more bearable or, you know, start a conversation about that with your parent? Communication skills is something we definitely work on. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what would that be like to have that com- that hard conversation with your parent? What might you want to say? Hmm. And so, so from the from the the kids' point of view, um, how do how do they feel when they're going through a coaching process? Um. So. I often like it. That's another interesting thing about coaching teens is that you don't really like with an adult, you get feedback or you can tell like how things are going. You don't always know with the teen. So oftentimes like their mom will text me or call me and be like, wow, what did you guys do? She came back so light. And like, and I, and I listened to her <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't make what she was saying wrong. You know, I just, was there. And sometimes I say the same thing as the mom, but because it's coming from a different person, sure, it lands differently. So there's also that, but I think a huge, I don't have that, like, well, if you're doing this now, you're not going to be able to graduate high school happening in the back of my head. Hmm. So I can just really listen and support. So lighter, they feel lighter. They feel like they've been able to get stuff off their chest. Um, Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they, like a parent will message me later, like even a long time later and be like, so she was talking to me about X, Y, and Z, like this breathing technique you taught her. Or so I feel like a lot of what I do with teens is planting seeds Mm -hmm. that may not start to grow immediately, but they are planted and they can come back to them when they're ready. And so that's interesting. So not only just listening, but you're also providing tools, whether they're ready to implement or hear about them at that moment is not important and they might surface later, but you're, you're providing them some tools to be able to better communicate or understand how they're feeling maybe too. Yes. Understand how they're feeling. Sometimes take perspective on other people, whether it's friends or you know, there's a lot of like friend stuff that comes up for girls Ugh, around that time. A lot there's a ton. (laughs) So much, so many things. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's like listening and always, you know, I'm like at heart, I'm a coach, so I'm listening. And whenever I feel that there's a window or a space, um, providing opportunities for them to learn. And so when you're working with, I do usually work with the teen separately from the parent, or do you do it together also, or how does that work? So I have like a teen, a teen coaching package mm-hmm. and, um, and then I have a mom coaching package. So they're two separate things with my teen package. There's always a bonus session that can be used for the parent or for the teen or a like group session with me and both of them. Mm-hmm. And that's always like when, once the teen and I have built a really, built a really strong rapport and within that package, like some moms get a lot of text support or email support. It kind of depends on what the parent needs. Some parents are like, here's my kid, all seven sessions go to them. Um, and then some really desire more. Mm-hmm. And then with my mom package, it's just with the mom. Mm-hmm. 
And it's funny, like I've thought about connecting them, but a lot of my mom clients are like, no, I want you for myself. And my teen (laughs) clients kind of feel that way too. So, um, yeah, there's them, that gives them both a safe Harbor. Yes. And so for the kids, do you find that you're primarily end up working with girls or do boys come into the conversation as well? So when I worked at the school, I obviously worked with both. Mm-hmm. Um, but since being on my own, I, I just work with girls. And it really is like, I, I, I will see teens of any age, but it's typically 12 to 16. Mm-hmm. And, and so how does, how does having your face in a phone play for these for everybody well both right because mom's face is in the phone a lot too and the kids faces on the phone and so now there's a lack of time the kids are not home a lot right mm-hmm. and so the that the amount of time that's available for communication has diminished too hasn't it yes it has I mean I feel like it's like that it's kind of like the the saying like we're overconnected, but we're all we're like a, like we're so connected by phones, but we're so disconnected, disconnected like interpersonally. Yeah, and I think like some families that I work with, the the teens and the moms are texting like thousands of times a day, you know, so many texts back and forth, but those like deep moments of connection are not there as much. And so, um, and I, I don't think it's just the teens, like you mentioned it. Thank you for saying that. And in, in your question, we're on our phones too. And right. so there, you know, when maybe your kid, and that's another really important thing with teens is like your window of being able to connect or missing a connection Mm -hmm. is like your four-year-old will just keep coming back to you and saying mama 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 but your teen will try and if your face is in your phone and you don't pick up that like this is a moment where they really want to make that connection with you you miss it and and they may take that as like she never listens to me Mm -hmm. because they they can't think outside of what's happening right now so what happens right now is what happens all the time yes yes Mm. So it is, I mean, it's playing a huge part in the disconnection for sure. Mm, That's really interesting. And at the same time, I would say for some teens, it is really like for some teens who struggle socially in person, Mm -hmm. the ability to connect by phone or like through video game chats or um, all of those things, like it, it is not all bad. It's not all wrong. There is it's gray as most things are, but like for some kids, they, they do connect that way. And that is how they feel comfortable and, um, socially accepted. And Mm. so having like, we never use this X, Y, and Z is also not a super helpful way of going about it. Hmm. That's interesting to really take the approach. So I'm taking the parent approach, right? Phones are bad. Yeah. Yeah. Video (laughs) games are bad, but not necessarily, but you have to understand the context. Yes. Mm. And so as you're talking to kids and as you're talking to moms, because I think this conversation, we kind of touched on this when we were, we were talking yesterday, how, how does the outdoors play into the conversations that you have? And before you answer that, I want to just acknowledge you and how, how fun it is to see you out outside with your girls walking in the rainstorm. (laughs) 
<laughs> and splashing in puddles because that makes me really happy. Uh, so yes, my personal feelings about the outdoors are um, we love to walk in the rain. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> I made a snow angel today. Can I just say that out loud? That's so exciting. I know. <laughs> and my kids were not surprised. <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually grew up like in the middle of the woods, very far, like an hour away from a town on 300 acres of wilderness with a neighbor a mile away. Um, so it took me a long time to get back to my love of the outdoors, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's so important for all of us to have some sort of access to nature and fresh air. Um, and it's interesting. I just taught like a class of 14 or like, I think it was nine to 14 year olds, um, a, a gymnastics team. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to them about what they felt was missing in their life, they said like joy and freedom. Hmm. Really? And a lot of them talked about like running freely in a field or like this kind of, you know, it's just kind of like the idea of maybe what you like see on the internet or something of joy and freedom, but like that was for quite a few of them. And so I think we, our phones and a lot of our lives do keep us like indoors and in this kind of hamster wheel of production and things. Um, and for teens too, like they, because of their brain development, it's even more hard for them to set their phone down. It's like, we cannot expect them to be able to be like, oh, it's a beautiful day outside. Let me put my phone down. I'm going to go enjoy it because we don't like some of us have a hard time with that mm -hmm. and teens like their impulse can, like they have an even harder time with that. So even though they might see think like, oh, I want to go outside, they don't always make that choice. And so I think it's important to support them in making those choices of getting outside. Um, and for moms, I think it's the same. Like being outside in nature can be such a grounding um, perspective, like a shift in perspective. Mm -hmm. I find nature to be very, I love rivers and running water. And one of the reasons is because when you're like sitting there and watching it, it's just so like you can feel like some of your problems are just so like this, this beauty of nature is just so consistent mm -hmm. and it just keeps going and showing up and doing the things that it does naturally. And it just feels to me like a really um, nice way to kind of let some of life's like mind patterns mm -hmm. It washes Flow away by. in the river. Yes. Even if you're not in it. Yes. The energy yes. of the river washes it away. Yes. So, and it also has to be a challenge too, because, well, like when you were growing up, it was here, you're outdoors and come home sometime. Right. And so it, that mm -hmm. doesn't happen any longer often that kids have free range. When I was in Arizona a few weeks ago, seeing my daughter, I was really surprised that 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 my grandson and his friend were just gone 
and neither one of them have communication devices. So internally, I'm like, I'm so proud of her to let that happen. And then part of me is like, oh my God, but that's the problem. We were such in a society of worrying about something's going to happen and not allowing these kids the freedom, like you said, and the joy, the freedom and the joy to go play in the playground. Mm-hmm. without somebody standing over them or I'd like you know and or it's, which also means that if the parent needs to be there the time of being outside can't be ha- isn't going to be a habit it's going to be whenever it's convenient for the parent which is sometimes not often right yeah and oftentimes when you go to those outside places the parents are on their phones mm. and not really enjoying the outside of the nature and like oh I'm that's a good point too. That too you know like sometimes you have a lot to maybe you you work on your phone sometimes and you're like okay we can go to the park but I'm going to be over here doing whatever mm-hmm. so yeah it's and I think every family is going to be very different so do you schedule outside time mm-hmm. that would be my recommendation yes <laughs> um, because when we just think oh like I'm gonna get outside more it's less likely to happen. And when you, if the kids prior to teenage years haven't had the reoccurring outdoor thing going on, it is going to be far from their thought process at 13 years old was like, you know, let's just go outside. That's not going to happen because they didn't have much experience doing it before. Right. Totally. And like, for myself, we like to go on hikes. And so we take the girls and we go, my kids are almost seven and almost 10 and we go out and we do these things. And I know that at some point we're going to get more pushback than we do right now, but because it is part of what we do as a family, we may not get to go as much, but we will still, that will still be part of what we do. And so you know, whatever, it doesn't need to be hiking. It can be like going to a park and just having a picnic. It's just something so that, that, I don't know, the beauty and the awe and just like the, the naturalness of nature can be part of their experience and they can feel what they're feeling in their bodies when they're out. I know for my, my daughter, who's almost 10, she has a friend and when they get in like unstructured nature like if we go on a hike together and we get to wherever we're having lunch or whatever they just will like create these whole games and realities and like the like over in the rocks over there and it's it's so wonderful to see that because I feel like that was most a lot of kids that was their experience of childhood Mm -hmm. and it's not really anymore and because of what you talked about, I mean, my husband grew up in Idaho and they would just leave in the mornings and come home at dark. <laughs> and he's told me some very interesting stories, but like <laughs> that was, he had th- two brothers. And so that was like his, his life. And now it's very much like, oh, we're going for a hike on the weekend. Then you guys can have one hour to go like make your creation world over there. And so it's, it's life has changed in that way. And so it is important to bring, to bring that to your kids if they don't, if they're not, especially if they're not seeking it already. And also too, when the parents and the kids are engaged in an activity, like you're going for a hike, it's not like you're, it's not any big engagement, but you're just both present at doing this similar activity and just being outside and being without four walls and a ceiling. Mm -hmm. It, it can also engage a conversation that would never have organically happened before. 
Yes. Walking side by side outside is a great way to connect. And at the same time, I think like connection, which is kind of my jam is, uh, when your kid is a teenager, it looks very different. It doesn't have to be a conversation. It can literally be like taking a walk side by side and not speaking at all or sitting next to each other on the couch and watching a funny show that makes you both laugh. Like those moments are connection. They make your child feel close to you. You guys are on the same level. You're just like, you're not asking anything of them. And so, yeah, the more moments that you can have of that, like side by side connection, whether you're having a deep conversation or not is, is kind of how you want to move through the teen years. I really like that a lot. And then also not necessarily taking over taking over that situation if you're both doing something quietly with really deep questions just because you think you have their attention. Mm. Yes. Yes. Just being and not and not needing to like, oh, this this is a moment I could I could ask these deep questions. Just taking those moments when you can, if you have a pressing thing that needs to mm-hmm. be addressed, of course. Mm-hmm. But not not every time. Right. Because then kids aren't going to want to even spend any moment with you because they're going to expect that question. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I must know this because I think, I think I've lived through this part <laughs> and I have to be careful. You know, I had to really watch myself because quite often, Oh, look, they're in front of me. So now I got to tell them something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so, um, you, t- you talked a little bit about your packages. I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about your summit too. So the packages, you have packages for kids and packages for adults. Mm-hmm. And you said there are seven sessions a piece. So my teen my teen package is um, three months and Mm -hmm. there's a bonus session. So it equals to seven. And typically a teen will sign back on, but like telling a teen that you have to see somebody every two weeks for six months feels really scary. So I just go with three. Um, And then for my mom package, usually I go a lot deeper with moms. And so that is a six month package. Um, Mm -hmm. And the mom sessions are an hour and the teen sessions are 45 minutes. So Mm -hmm. There's definitely some differences um, between the two because like I said, they're very different. Mm. Yes, I can imagine. And so tell us about the summit. I know you're working hard on it. Yes. Um, Yeah. So I am creating an online summit for parents of teens. It's called the Teen Code. Um, And it's happening at the end of March, the 27th through the 31st. And I have 12 speakers, including I'm one of them. So including myself. um, And these are just some really amazing therapists, coaches, authors, um, sharing about my my perspective in parenting is rooted in uh, conscious parenting or connected parenting or gentle parenting, however you want to say that like kind of new ish way of parenting. And um, I, we talk about brain development. We talk about the nervous system. The conversations are just amazing. It's been such a fun process and a lot of work. Um, but I realized in building my business that I don't I, like connection-based marketing is really the only way that I want to market my business. And this summit is that because I've had the opportunity to interview 11 amazing people who are doing amazing work in the world. And I get to promote them and as well as grow my 
um, audience. And it's just been, it's been super fun. And I like, cannot wait until it's out in the world. (laughs) That's fantastic. So tell me how people can find you number one and find your summit. Yeah. So, um, they can find me at elisenox.com or I'm Mm -hmm. on Instagram, which is where I mostly am at Elise Knox Connection Coach. And um, then the summit will be at the teencodesummit.com. And I believe the website will be live um, on March 5th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. Elise, thank you so much. This was, this was so much fun. And yes. thanks for coming on and spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jean. It's been so fun. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I am fine. And I'm looking forward to your rising up segment today. What do you have for us today? Well, I I just want to say what a fabulous um, episode this has been. I loved hearing from Denise and Elise and um, so much of what they talked about made me want to talk about something else entirely, but I'm going to stick to the original topic, but you'll probably hear some tie-ins like So I've been hearing lots of conversations lately, Jean, and I bet you have too, about the weather (laughs) and about, um, and about uh, longing for spring, Mm -hmm. right? And so many people, it seems, are really um, projecting, as Elise said, that future casting, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't wait till whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right, for them. And um, she also mentioned joy and freedom as a, as things that people cherish. Mm. And one of the ways we get joy and freedom is by, by being really present in the moment and by being really um, okay with where we are at the very moment. And it's okay to long for spring. I'm not, (laughs) I've been longing for spring too, a little bit. Right. And, and, but, when we notice what we're noticing about where we are and when we allow ourselves to explore and get curious about what we can be grateful for about where we are, that's a really powerful place to be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the things I noticed this week was the quality of the sunlight has mm-hmm. changed and it feel. I walked outside and it was 40 something. So it didn't feel like spring yet here. <laughs> But the quality of the sun, when I looked out, it looked warmer than it was, right? It looked. And so I just invite everybody, as you're thinking about how the outside makes the inside better, think about what can you appreciate about how it is now? What can you appreciate and be grateful for, for whatever the experience is today? Mm -hmm. And, and just you know, maybe even look for the qualities of spring or the qualities of what you're looking forward to in the future in your present now and, and allow that to be what lifts you up and keeps you going. And, and just that practice of noticing what we're noticing, I think is such a, a powerful thing to do. So that's what we're rising up with today, Jean. I, I, you know, I really love that because sometimes I'm challenged with not thinking about or not being present in what I'm doing today, but thinking about what I wish I could have done or what I wish I was able to do versus taking the time and realizing where I am today. 
and the sun, the days are longer. Yes. It is that little snippet of it's going to be different here soon. Yes. And so before you go, I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about the Be More Conference. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jean. So the Be More Conference for Women is uh, an online conference, two Mm -hmm. days, March 11th and 12th. It is phenomenal. It's not like any conference you've ever attended. We have um, 14 speakers and they're in 20 minute segments. So it's like little podcasts or little TED Talks about a wide variety of topics that matter for women. Mm -hmm. And they are all recorded. So you don't have to sit all day. If you if you can just come for a few and catch the, you're going to get this library of recordings. It's a free bonus with every ticket, which is uh, the tickets are only $27. And then day two is this remarkable day of engagement where you get to meet all the other women. You get to talk to them. You get to talk to the speakers and be in rooms, small groups with the speakers and really do some connecting, some supporting and being supported and some amazing collaborations are built live right at this conference. So I hope that uh, the women who are listening will come and join us at bemoreconference.com. Thank you, Lynn. I'm really looking forward to it as well. And it is the, the second day is really a lot of fun because everybody has absorbed the the energy from the day before and it really yeah. breaks down the I don't know these people barriers and because we've all experienced something together and it and it really gives an opportunity for some great conversations. Yes, uh, just today Jean, two people who met each other a couple of conferences ago told me about a project they're launching together. Oh, right that's fantastic. Now. And this so is- it's just amazing what comes up. And Jean is one of our speakers too. So we're super excited about excited. that. I'm excited. And this is your fifth conference. It is. Yes, yes. it is. So- our fifth conference, our fifth Be More conference. That's fantastic. So everybody look for bemoreconference.com. And um, thank you so much for listening today. It's really been a, an information packed a little over an hour. So I really appreciate everybody sticking through and listening and uh, reach out to any of any of the four of us if you have any questions. So thanks very much and have a great day. Thank you so much for listening today. Today's show is sponsored by Seaside Solutions, my financial services company. As a business owner, It's easy to be pulled in many different directions and often taking care of yourself plummets to the bottom of the list. For me, I find myself outside to reground. My time outdoors helps me manage my day more effectively and be more present for my clients. Through this, Discover Rising Tides was born. At Seaside Solutions, we truly believe that education is the foundation of financial wellness. Our primary focus is to provide guidance that is designed to help you achieve your long-term financial goals and visions. Working with a plan allows space for doing more things that you love, like being outside to make the inside better. If I can help you create or realign your plan, or if you would like to be added to my weekly newsletter, please let me know. This week's topic was five ways to set more achievable goals. Your referral means the big, beautiful world to me. And if I can help, please let me know. And thank you so much for listening and see you next time.